Hello everyone, and welcome back to Story Slam. Uh, my name is James, and I'm going to be your host for this episode. Uh, it's been a little while since we released an episode. We've been meaning to get back to this for a while, uh, but various things have got in our way. But with the advent of the COVID crisis, our show has had to go online, but this has actually had the effect that it's much easier to record our shows online. So we thought the perfect time to restart the podcast. Thank you to everyone who, who has been asking for the podcast and those of you who still have this podcast in your feed. We really appreciate it. Very briefly, for those of you who maybe don't know what this is or have stumbled across this on iTunes or somewhere, we are a true storytelling group based out of Bristol in the UK, where anyone can come along to our shows, put their name in a hat and tell a true story uh, live on stage. Well, normally on stage, but nowadays on Zoom. Each month we have a theme which the stories will centre around. And this month, our theme was oppression. And this was in direct response to uh, the protests and the uh, fierce discussion going on in the US and the UK and around the world in response to the murder of George Floyd by the state in the US. Um, The systematic oppression that black and non-white communities face uh, is something that is very important to understand and the topic of oppression is one that isn't fully understood uh, by a lot of people so we felt that as a storytelling platform we really wanted to give people a platform to be able to discuss oppression share true live stories of oppression uh, and hopefully learn more about the people around us. The attendance for this show was quite low. This was for a number of reasons. We had some technical difficulties selling tickets, uh, people weren't getting sent links, it was a bit of a nightmare. Uh, And also, the topic of oppression is a hard one to talk about. It's a hard one to open a space around and also hard to tell stories about it being so highly emotive um, and highly charged. Uh, So we had a low attendance, but we have some Uh, I think three or four stories to share with you today. We really wanted to just start releasing these again. So I very much hope you enjoy the stories today. Uh, I'm going to leave you with our first storyteller, who is Jim H. Uh, And Jim has some content warnings for his stories. Uh, The content warning for this story is racism, sexism, Black Lives Matter, and Me Too. So I'll leave you with Jim to start off the show. I really hope you enjoy it and hope you, wherever you are, you are safe and comfortable. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. <clears throat> okay, uh, one of the backstops against government oppression is enshrined in Magna Carta. It's the right to a trial by jury. And so uh, I thought I'd like to tell a story about the very first time I served on a jury. And this is something that happened when I was 25 years old and living in Los Angeles. And it took place in the LA County Courthouse. And the the trial began when they brought a pool of 40 potential jurors into the courtroom and put 12 of us into the jury box for jury selection. And this is where they explained the case to us. They said, this is gonna be a very simple case. There's not gonna be any expert witnesses and there's not gonna be any forensic evidence. In fact, the the state is just gonna present one witness. 
And for jury selection, they then went around to each of us and asked a very specific question as a juror. When you think of that phrase, guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, do you think you're capable of delivering a guilty verdict on the basis of just one person's testimony? And anybody that said no or hesitated to say yes uh, was excused and they brought another person in from the pool and eventually we got 12 people to be on the jury. And then they explained more about the case to us. They said this was gonna be an assault case and the prosecution was gonna present one witness, a young white woman, and the defendant was a middle-aged black man. And so the trial began. We had the woman take the stand and she said she was a, a student at the university, UCLA. She's in the College of Dentistry. And um, one day she's in the um, Biomedical Research Library. It's this little place um, in amongst the university buildings. It's not part of any of the public libraries miles away. And she's in this library and she turns the corner and there's this guy. And this guy grabs her wrist and pulls her hand towards his crotch. She breaks free and races to the security desk. They call the police, um, but by then the guy has disappeared and there's no other witnesses. Two months go by, she's back in the biomed library and she sees the same guy and she calls the police. This time they arrive and they arrest the guy and now we have the trial. And one of the interesting things about her testimony was uh, she said, as a dentistry student, I have, a, I have an eye for people's teeth. And this guy had very distinctive teeth. And um, uh, so uh, what he had was um, gaps in the upper molars, both sides. And so we had a moment like the OJ trial with the glove and our defendant had to come over and stand in front of the jury box and open up his mouth and show us those teeth. And sure enough, there were the gaps that she described. That was the prosecution case. Now the defendant, he didn't have to put on a case, but he chose to. So he took the stand and, um, um, and he's, he testified that um, he's innocent, uh, that he just showed up at the library and he's minding his own business and they arrested him. And that's all there is to it. But he also had to submit to cross-examination and that's where we learned a bunch of sort of like unsavory facts, but the kind that aren't really evidence. Uh, so we learned that he lives in a rough part of town, miles away. We learned that he's, he's unemployed, he's divorced and lives alone and he has no friends and he's poor. He has no credit cards and nothing to help him in the way of people or records to anything to give him an alibi for the day of the crime. And that was the whole case. We took that to the, to the jury room and we spent two days discussing it. And we eventually came back with a verdict of guilty. Now that, that took place 35 years ago. And uh, now, you know, um, now I can, when I look at it now with my, all my old man wisdom, I can, I can see all kinds of depth and complexity to this trial that um, was way beyond what they said was gonna be a simple case when they described it to us. So, you know, I go back and I think about it more and I wonder, did I do the right thing? Uh, am I a racist for voting to convict? Or would I have been sexist if I had voted to acquit? It's all so complicated now. In fact, I've even come up with a whole new thread of, of thought on this trial, which is I think about that moment with the teeth. And I'm thinking, is that an example 
of systemic bias because those teeth they played a role in several stages of several steps of the um, criminal justice system process you know at each stage they were kind of a disadvantage at, at the point of being identified by a witness of being arrested by a policeman uh, being put to trial by a, by the prosecutor and convicted by the jury you know within each step we're all trying to do the right thing you know magna carta but when you step back and look at it systemically, it kind of looks like this guy was sent to prison for the crime of not having a good dental plan. And that, that for me is like mind blowing. I've never thought of something like that happening before. Um, now I've had a lot of friends here in the UK explain the virtues of the NHS and how it's connected to all kinds of wonderful things. And I can see a connection between healthcare and civil rights. But this is the first time I've ever thought of healthcare outcomes playing a role in the criminal justice system. That's, that's completely new to me. And, and I'm just kind of blown away by the fact that I'm still learning stuff like this and a little bit troubled that, I, that there's more things I have to add to that list of things I didn't know when I was 25 years old. Thanks. Thank you, Jim. Thank you so much for your story. When thinking about it, the complexities quickly become overwhelming. I think it's one of these things that I've only recently, to my shame, only recently started realizing is how like oppressions overlap and intersect and how these oppressions almost compete against one another and how it can be so hard to untangle uh, sort of like layer upon layer of oppressions. Thank you very much for your story. Oh, um, thanks. Uh, right. Let's have a, Another storyteller. Okay, we have um, uh, our next storyteller is going to be Jan. Um, and Jan uh, does have a content warning, and it is the uh, content warning is ther therapy of oppression. Are you happy to go, Jan? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Welcome to stage, Jan. Thank you. Can I just congratulate Bristol on a wonderful, peaceful um, protest where Edward Colston was um, toppled. I was proud to be on it. So um, in my retirement, I am a trauma counsellor and I often work with people who have been oppressed as children by maybe violent or narcissistic parents, um, bullies, sexual abusers, and even teachers. And when kids are treated in this way, they usually end up with a very low opinion of themselves, and they often go on to become depressed and anxious adults who may self-harm with drugs or alcohol or physical injury. So I'm kind of overjoyed and a bit evangelical I will admit about um, a method of trauma work that I use um, which does really offer uh, an enormous um, help to traumatized adults um, traumatized early in life. So the characteristic of an unprocessed trauma memory is that we feel discomfort and distress in our body when we think about it and 
the memory is always associated with a negative belief about ourselves, such as I am bad, I am to blame, I am helpless. So processing these memories uh, is really important. And um, the client chooses the memory to process in EMDR, which is the method I'm talking about. And they start off bringing up an image of the most distressing part of the memory. The self-belief, the negative self-belief they notice in association with it. The emotions they feel as they bring up the memory and where in their body they feel those emotions. The therapist asks them to give a score for the distress in the body uh, as they think of the memory on a scale of zero to 10. So we've evoked the memory and we're now ready to go. And we use bilateral stimulation in the form of either eye movements or buzzers in the hands or tapping to open up the memory system and keep the left and right brain online as we process the memory. The client then steps in and out of the memory at one minute intervals, noticing what's happening in the memory and also in their bodies. And they feed back briefly to the therapist between each set. The client notices that the uh, memory is becoming less distressing uh, with progressive um, steps in and out of the memory. And when the client is able to say, I'm thinking of this memory now and I have no distress in my body, then they're down to a zero distress. And we know the process is complete. They then install an alternative positive belief about themselves, which is more realistic um, to counteract the negative one they started with. And um, clients are quite astonished that they can process a memory, maybe in one single session, that they have been unable to think of without discomfort for decades. So it is quite dramatic and magical. And that's why I'm so excited about it. I'm going to spread the news. I'll just tell you about one of my clients who came a few years ago. He was a young man with a 15-year history of depression, which had um, involved the breakup of several relationships. He also had body dysmorphic disorder and believed that he had a facial disfiguration, which everybody could see. And that wasn't true. So... On his first session, he said to me, Jan, if this therapy doesn't work, I'm going to kill myself. So a bit of pressure for me there. Anyway, we embarked on processing his trauma memories, which started probably around age two when he had a surgery to his face, which left him with a mild disfigurement that opened him up to bullying during his school years. He also had a father who was rather oppressive and unsympathetic and we process memories of his dad's failure to respond in a nurturing way to him. After a few months he stopped being depressed and he was back at work functioning very well and we continued to work for quite a long period because he had lots of memories that he felt were feeding into his depression and when he finally left I think he believed that he didn't have to get depressed anymore because he had actually laid everything to rest. 
So it was a really good result and he hasn't returned and I'm fairly certain he would have returned if he'd had any relapse. So this is a magical, life-changing therapy, I believe, and I've been doing it for about 10 years now. So I want to spread the word because uh, everybody who has unresolved trauma should know about EMDR and give it a go uh, if they feel up to it. The one thing they have to be is safe in order to embark on the therapy. And so, of course, the criminal justice system and accountability need to be in place for many victims of oppression to be able to feel safe enough to embark on therapy. So please spread the word. Thank you so much, Jan. Thank you so much for your story. It, when, was, when you sort of think about the um, theme of oppression, it, it, it is so insidious and spreads into so many different parts of everything, everything that we do in the systematic structures around us, but also the availability of healthcare, you know, like going to therapy or, or the acceptability of, of going to therapy or, or, or get, getting sort of mental health work, access to mental health education, all that kind of stuff. Um, it really is, it's like something that I feel like we all need to learn so much more about um, because it is so, because it is so massive. Thank you so much for sharing your story. So this is, so this is a, this is a small group of people we have here today. Um, we're lucky, the Story Slam, that we have like we have like a we have like a venue, and we have people who come. And we have new people come. We have we have we have you know members of our community who tell stories all the time. Um, and part of it today is that oppression isn't isn't when you see like a, a event about oppression, uh, it, it, I don't think it immediately makes you think, oh, that'll be fun, you know, or, oh, I'll, I'll go along to that thing. Um, and so I, I, um, I wonder if that plays a role in having like a lower attendance or whether, um, you know, whether everyone is, just, is like so exhausted or whether people want to hear about stories about oppression or people want or people have the energy to share stories about oppression right now. I feel like it is such an emotionally um, stressful time, especially if people, members of our community who are black, members of our community who are non-white, that it, it, I, I wonder if also that it is like incredibly hard to build up the energy to share stories like that. Um, I want to say that because we haven't got any more stories listed for today. Um, and it happens occasionally where we will have a lot of people who are willing to share stories. And of course, that is a part of what Story Slam is, is that it is a collaboration between a whole group of people about sharing stories. Um, so I would welcome you if you do have any stories that you would like to share um, to make yourself known. But also that if you don't, if that is also fine that we are here because we want to hear and share stories. Um, but if, if people haven't got the energy to share stories, then that is like a more important, like self care thing to do for yourself. Um, so yeah, that's sort of a rambly way of putting it. But if anyone has any more stories, um, maybe we can take like, like a really short break or something like a few minute break. Um, and, um, people could like text my, so on, if you look at my video, I'll, um, when I mute my video, you see like a, 
a uh, phone number. Um, if you are interested in sharing a story a pri privately, like an anonymous one that I can read out, or sharing a story to the whole group, um, feel free to text me. Um, so uh, I will maybe like have like a minute or so break or something, um, and then we'll come back. And uh, if we haven't got stories, then we'll, we'll not have the stories, and we do, we do. Um, so how does that sound to everyone? Does that sound okay? Okay, cool. Um, then uh, grab yourself a cup of tea or something, and we'll see you in like a few minutes' time. Hey, everyone. Okay. Um, hey, uh, I totally didn't warn you that we're about to throw you into sort of group bubbles. Um, one thing that uh, we really like about Story Slam when we are in a physical space is that uh, everyone can chat during the interval and chat before and after about stories and that kind of thing. So we kind of wanted to sort of create that space, but digitally. So hope you managed to chat with someone new in your group chat, maybe, or get a cup of tea. Hope you've all enjoyed yourself. Um, thank you for those. I uh, have got a few more, I've uh, got some people who sent their names and a few uh, anonymous stories. So thank you so much for that. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge that um, the discussions of oppression make people feel really uncomfortable. And I think it's quite a scary thing to talk about. Um, Scary is the wrong word, but it's, you know, we really felt like it was important that we had a show based around oppression, you know, because oppression is so deeply misunderstood. And so by having a space people could share stories of oppression, do our very small bit for trying to increase some awareness of the pressure that people face. Um, it's a scary kind of, it's, 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 a, it's a scary space. And also, it must be incredibly scary to share stories about oppression as well. So I just want to acknowledge all those things that this is like, these are not easy topics and there's not easy things to um, talk about or, and also very emotional to try and to, to express as well. Just wanted to make that like really clear. Um, really well. So yeah, thank you for people who have sent in uh, little short stories. I'm going to read one now. For years, I tried to step away from my blackness seeing it through the lens of white society. I felt more comfortable around white people. I made it known that I really didn't like things associated with blackness. I dressed in a way that I realize now felt partially like a costume to hide my race. Rocker chick with straightened hair and piercings. It wasn't until I turned 22 that I realized how much I had despised myself and how so, and how so desperately wanted to be something I never could. Thankfully now, I embrace my race fully I love learning about black history and I'm now ashamed, I'm not ashamed of what I am, a strong black woman. Thank you so much for your short story. That is in equal parts, like absolutely awful to read. Um, and also in, in, I'm incredibly happy to read. I'm really happy that you now feel so much more happy in yourself. Thank you for sharing with us. Um, we have not had any more names unless people have sent them through to me and I've not got them for some reason. Or if you put them through the, um, let me have a quick look on the forms, bear with me. Hello, so James, I, I tried to text you my name. Uh, I see. So did sorry. you get it or are we having I a little quarrel? Something happened within, something's happened within the story slam phone. That's absolutely fine. Uh, <laughs> Becky, do you have any content warnings for your story? Yes. So the first one is transphobia and mm -hmm. the second one is uh, like unreliable allies and yeah, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, 
Thank you, Becky. We'll have a, I'll read a one night, I'll read a short story and then we'll have Becky um, up on stage sharing her story. Thank Perfect. you. Um, thank you for those who have sent in the stories. Um, here's another one. As a woman, constantly feeling the urge to hold back your thoughts of frustration, angst, and worry when working with men, over fears will make you seem weak, overwhelmed, and will ultimately minimize your voice and value in the workplace. Even though knowing your emotions are strength when it comes to being in, in the moment and self-reflecting. Thank you, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing that uh, that short, short story about sort of sexism in the workplace, which is like so incredibly common. Is it completely boggles the mind? But thank you for sharing your thoughts. Um, okay, let's have then. Uh, welcome to the stage. Round applause for Becky. Thank you. Hello. Um, yeah, I uh, I wasn't going to tell this story, but Jim's story sort of reminded me that it's okay to, well, no, it's good even to admit, like, I'm an imperfect person who, these are complex situations, etc. And I was worried, oh, if I'm telling this, am I doing it to try and absolve, my, absolve myself or to try and perform the role or something and but because it's such a small group and I just trust that I feel like you're all listening openly and you're not we're not here to judge each other or call each other out for the shit thing we've done in the past it's good to say like oh I did something bad and I've grown from it and I'm gonna try and do better um that yeah I feel okay saying this even though I wasn't planning on it so uh when I was uh yeah, basically, I behaved poorly in this story, and hopefully, yeah, we're all learning, we're all growing. So I was 17, and I was uh, elected as one of the leaders of our Christian union in our sixth form college because I was super keen and, uh, like, loved Jesus and the church and everything, and... Um, um yeah and there were there were six of us in our little team of christian union leaders and what this role entailed was every thursday lunchtime in our sixth form we'd have a meeting and someone would bring a guitar and it was so like tame and harmless <laughs> we'd like bring a guitar and read the bible and like talk about our feelings and then go to maths class <laughs> and, um super sweet and then uh one of my um and you know we're 17 very young and then one of my friends who was also a leader came out as saying like look I'm I'm a trans guy I want you to use he pronouns for me it's not a big deal like this is my new name I don't want you to call me by my old name anymore and I'll keep seeing you at CU like I'm still going to a church my church accept me and it's that's all really. And to his face, I was like, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah. Like, uh, no problem. Like those are your pronouns. That's great. That's your name. That's great. No problem. And just acted, you know, he was my mate and it was all cool. And then, uh, behind his back, oh, this is really nasty. Um, yeah, really bad. But we've, yeah, the, I guess the first step is saying like, like I am, I have ingrained in me transphobia, racism, sexism, uh, homophobia, all these things are inside me and I'm just trying to get rid of them and yeah, made mistakes and moved on. So behind his back, the, 
the five other leaders apart from this guy uh started a message saying like hey i've really been praying about this a lot and talking to god about it and i don't think it's right that he's one of our leaders he should be able to still come come to christian union and and listen to our talks but he shouldn't be in a leadership position because it's a really bad example because he's trans and god doesn't make people trans and we need to be praying for well, they weren't even calling him him. They were, yeah, using his, his old pronouns and stuff. And just, you know, these were like 17-year-olds from Surrey who've never met a trans person before. And, uh, yeah, just behaving in a way that is, uh, yeah, it was just quite sneaky and unkind and transphobic. And But at the moment, you know... Uh, yeah and so to his face i was really really supportive and then behind his back in this group of five people i to their faces wanted to be a good christian and wanted to and said like oh well if i think about it like he yeah we he's not doing the right thing by god like people you know should stick stick to their gender and we should be praying for him to go back to his old gender um and and i agreed with them in the group and i was like it, like yeah he should still come but he shouldn't be leading and i had a yeah it just felt it just felt really confusing in my gut and it felt like oh something's not right here and then i spoke to my like youth leaders from my church about it a couple in their 30s and they were like well what does they basically said like you should just let him carry on just let him be a leader like does it mean anything really like you should accept him and love him and that's the christian way and i was <laughs> i was just so relieved when they said that to me but i felt like uh yeah and i talked to my dad about it at the time and he said like becky you're oh the phrase is something it's a proper phrasing you'll probably all know it's like you're riding two horses like don't join the circus if you can't ride two horses at once and Becky that's what you've been doing and it's not very good like you should really not be like like accepting this guy to his face and then behind his back saying that he's wrong and he's sinning by uh presenting in his gender this way and yeah and it was just a lesson in I knew that something was wrong because there was this friction and this disconnect between us saying you need to keep to your old gender and this guy saying like nope I'm a guy it's not a big deal um and that tension the tension I felt inside me was like this disconnect between these two groups and all I wanted to do was just find out what people wanted me to say and do and then do that I didn't actually think like what's the kindest thing to do like what I, I was just like I just want to fit in I just want to be the good Christian girl and yeah and I hope that now yeah I just wanted to do the easy thing and be liked and at 17 that's really really common I'm sure we all did terrible things at 17 but yeah I'm hoping that as we get older now calling people out like it's never comfortable to call people out and yeah the conversations I have in my staff room at work about the statue going down and when they're saying like oh I can't believe they did that it's vandalism why did they do that like it's disgusting vandalism now I have learned the, some of the courage to when I have energy which is not very often like say like 
Well, actually, it's interesting that you call it vandalism because, like, who does the statue belong to? If it belongs to Bristol, then sounds like Bristol have cared for it the way they wanted it to be cared for, which is put in the, in the big blue sea. Um, and take that energy and, and try and say something, even if it's not likeable. But, yeah, it's just shit because being like, I love to be liked, and it's my favourite thing. <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah. So, I'm yeah, just, it's very messy. It's a very messy thing to like confront these issues and I am grateful that you've all listened to me uh, generously and yeah thanks for listening that's all thank you Becky um like I think that so much oppression whether it be you know against trans people or, or, or i think so much oppression is um is maintained by uh sort of it's been it's maintained by people like these structures are made up of people and it sounds like the structures that were within your christian group were the ones maintaining this sort of transphobic stance and once it, it i feel like a important part of like a important part of that is like you said is calling these things out when you see them and um and not being silenced and i think oftentimes it's silence from people who you know it's silence that sort of maintains these status quos um so i'm really happy to hear that the situation you know in your church was resolved well well, not resolved but uh, ended up with an acceptance of this person which is obviously the ideal and that you are now you're now like actively speaking out when hearing people you know expressing oppressive views because that is something that we all need to be doing and um, not remaining silent um so yeah thank you thank you for thank you for your story and i think it can i tell you the ending of the story was <laughs> I, I forgot to tell you how it worked out in the end but there was of the six of us um uh the three people just left the ceo and didn't want to lead with him and then me and uh, another guy and this trans guy all led the CU together and it was totally fine and now he's like still in the church and he's got a church that likes him and it was like it all worked out fine uh, yeah like the people that didn't want to be friends with him just left and he got to still like be in the CU leader team and it, it yeah felt good sorry that's just a little yeah yeah thanks man love words yeah <laughs> yeah um and yeah and that was down to some really good teachers who said to us like you can't oust him just because he's trans like if you don't like him maybe you should leave like love you bye <laughs> um so yeah that was a happy ending <laughs> okay thank you very much becky for the little <laughs> the little uh, uh what's it called epilogue at the end of the story um so yeah yeah thank you and i think it uh Although I think it is most important for these spaces to be uh, for, uh, I think, really happy that we have had stories from people um, experiencing oppression. I think also there is a space for hearing about people, stories of people who, who actively engage in oppressive behaviours, because that is obviously that is a massive part of what the whole systems that are going on. So yeah, I really appreciate your sharing your story as well. Um, okay, I think we have one more um, short story. I think then. Uh, we might, uh, unless anyone has else has stories, then we might end the show. Okay, so thank you for the person who sent, this, sent in this, this short story. I used to work as an office junior in Manchester a few years ago. 
And during my time working in a very corporate organization, I was subject to a verbal sexual harassment almost every day by a much older gentleman who used to have me turn around for him and admire my figure. He would comment on my neat dresses, short skirts and high heels approvingly. I felt incredibly uncomfortable, but didn't feel able to say anything about it as he was known around the office to be an eccentric old man. And that's just how he is. I heard that he retired shortly after I left and I felt relieved that no one else at the office would ever put me in that position again. Hmm. That's as something to read out. It's something that's incredibly uncomfortable to read out because it's such an incredibly uncomfortable thing. Really sorry to hear that you went through, had to, had to, like every day be in that kind of environment. I can't imagine how awful it is. And also how dreadfully common that is and, and, and still is. Um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing it. I feel like it's another example of if you're able to see things like that happening about not maintaining silence and calling it out when you see it. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, okay. It has been a small, intimate show today, which has been about a massive, massive topic. Um, Story Slam is a place where um, we want anyone who wants to share true stories to feel welcome, and anyone who wants to share stories can come, come and do that. And we think that's an incredibly important part um, in like battling oppression. We also um, are very aware of our own flaws and that we are not perfect and that we are always actually trying to be better. Um, and we're specifically currently um, really engaged in and excited about making our organizing team and our hosting team more diverse, which is something that we are really excited about. Um, we wanted to say thank you so much to everyone today who has shared their stories. It has been really amazing. Thank you to everyone who shared anonymous stories and, and spoke spoken um, live. It has been really incredible. We will continue running these. Um, we will um, always be a space where anyone comes to our stories and we're really excited to hear more stories in the future. Um, if you like what we do, um, uh, just uh, share, um, I know we had like some ticket difficulties today where people weren't able to buy tickets or whatever. Um, if you um, wanted to buy a ticket today but you couldn't, um, go uh, donate money to um, a bail fund in the States or the Black Lives Matter. Uh, we'd much rather go there than have a ticket money. Um, and until next time, um, keep an eye out for the podcast. Um, this will be like a short little episode, but um, those who have ticked yes will be included in the podcast. We're excited to see that return. Um, but until next time, I think that's everything. Um, I hope you're all safe and comfortable um, in the coming month, and we'll see you again really soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much.